0: Welcome. For I don't know how many times you've been welcomed already, but another welcome. And um, I'm Marcia, and this is my co teacher Winnie. And I'm delighted to uh, be here with all of you. I think there are two people that aren't here yet. This one. Did I count wrong?
1: Oh, one person who has not yet arrived.
0: Here. Perhaps. Count. I in the room here. Okay. So I see some old friends and uh and quite a number of new friends who will become old friends by the end of the week or somewhere along the week. So it's it's really uh for me a great joy to be here with you uh, as we spend these next seven days together in a kind of unusual way a a way that's really uh, quite unique um, and really quite special in, in our culture and as we enter into retreat together each one of us alone and also of course together We're creating, or we could say more accurately, co-creating a temporary village, a temporary spiritual practice community here, as we begin this period of commitment, commitment to cultivating and to deepening our inner life, our understanding, we could say, of the nature of things. I think for many, many of us, there's a tremendous amount of time and energy uh, spent, or maybe more accurately, expended, uh, cultivating an outer life, doing things, going places, getting things. And so, in the way of most people's lives, This is really quite a special and unique way to spend a week. And whether this is something that you've done many times before, some of you in this room have done this many times before, or whether it's a brand new endeavor or experience that you're entering into, I think there's often a sense um, for all of us, new and old, at this entering into a sacred space. Entering into a kind of sanctuary. Both within our surroundings and within ourselves. And for me, whether I'm teaching or whether I'm entering into a period of personal practice, there's always this sense of entering into a sacred space. And here the sacred space of the life surrounding us the incredible diversity and natural rhythms of life happening all around us the weather with all of its many many changes the changes in the light dark to light to dark to light and this midwinter season now with all of the ongoing changes here in northern New Mexico, anywhere really, but it can be very dramatic here with all of the changes. And all of the forms of life, the community of beings, we could say, that we share this place with, humans and otherwise. Many birds, other creatures, maybe even a few insects, even this time of year here in New Mexico lots of trees and all the other manifestations of plant life of which there is an abundance of around here. And even the air itself. All of it constantly changing, beginning and ending, birthing and dying. This natural world that's so close around us here so easily available to connect with. It's really a big gift. A gift that, in fact, we're not separate from, and a gift that holds us in itself. This natural world is a wonderful teacher, a wonderful teacher of the sacredness and the natural fluidity of diversity that just simply is. It's really a a mirror, we could say, a mirror of the truth of ourselves, our nature as nature. And considering for a moment that nature is really no problem uh, to itself, no problem to itself in itself. We can learn from this mirror of naturalness, the what is sometimes called the just isness, the just beingness, the absolute open hearted presence, so to say, of this perfectly natural world. It seems to me no surprise, really, that humans are drawn to places like this, places where untarnished naturalness and beauty are so easily accessible I think that many of us find that there's a quite a natural sense of connection our heart opening in moments of a very simple clear presence when we really take the time to truly arrive and be really just simply be So, for instance, maybe this afternoon with the late afternoon light. Tomorrow morning, an early morning sunrise. Or the changing sky colors at the close of the day, which here in this part of uh, New Mexico can be quite amazing. Or, of course, just silently present in your body, your heart and your mind. Any time of the day, any time of the night. One day in the 92nd year of her life, my mother stopped for a few moments during our daily walk outdoors. And she stopped and she stooped over and she looked very long and silently at a a flower that was very, very full in its blooming, in its liveliness. And she said, it's so great to be alive. Probably every one of us has come to some unexpected or unsuspected and maybe even exceptional moments. And that was an exceptional moment for my mother and for me to be in her presence in that exceptional moment. And we've all come to some exceptional moments during times of a very simple, direct presence. Moments of a clear, unfettered attention. We could call it maybe a spiritual attention. Our heart, our mind opens and relaxes and eases in the midst of a very simple, clear, direct presence with things. And for many of us, the natural world is often the place where this happens most easily, at least at first. And right here, where we are, at this very spot in northern New Mexico, is a perfect place to just drop into this this flavor, this taste of presence. As I'm sure that many of you have experienced at some points in your life, in a moment of a simple, clear presence, it's as though we fall through ordinary appearances. We could say we fall through ourselves, our usual habitual selves, into an intuitive place of the essence of things. Our heart, our mind, opens with an unfettered receptivity, a kind of boundless, maybe radical acceptance, in which there's really a deep sense of connection both inwardly and outwardly. This is really the essence of metta. This unconditional acceptance and connection of metta love. And for maybe just a moment, we might dissolve with a boundless heart, a boundless heart-mind out of our seemingly separate Solid, static sense of self into the surprise of the moment, the unexpected surprise of the reflection of truth and, of course, the wonder of it all. A momentary sense of what the great Thai teacher Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing. And for just a moment, we may wake up to this unexpected surprise, the reflection of the heart's true connection in a most simple, simple way, a moment we could call being in love. There's a wonderful poem uh, by Billy Collins that speaks about this that I'd like to share with you he calls it aimless love this morning as I walked along the lake shore I fell in love with the wren and later in the day with the mouse the cat had dropped under the dining room table in the shadows of an autumn evening I fell for a seamstress still at her machine in the tailor's window and later for a bowl of broth steaming steam rising like smoke from a naval battle this is the best kind of love I thought without recompense without gifts or unkind words without suspicion or silence on the telephone the love of the chestnut the jazz cap and one hand on the wheel no lust, no slam of the door the love of the miniature orange tree the clean white shirt the hot evening shower the highway that cuts across Florida No waiting, no huffiness or rancor, just a twinge every now and then. For the wren who had built her nest on a low branch overhanging the water and for the dead mouse still dressed in his light brown suit. But my heart is always propped up in a field on its tripod ready for the next arrow. After I carried the mouse by its tail to a pile of leaves in the woods, I found myself standing at the bathroom sink, gazing down affectionately at the soap. So patient and soluble, so at home in its pale green soap dish. I could feel myself falling again as I felt it turning in my wet hands and caught the scent of lavender and stone. aimless love. And so here we are um, in this place, Taos, New Mexico and San Geronimo Lodge, where there's really quite a degree of accumulated, wholesome, heartfelt energy. All of the people who have come here to learn and to practice. All of those who have come here to look inward, to do their inner work, to explore, to investigate the nature of things. All of the teachings that have been offered and all of the teachers who've offered them. It's really uh, quite a wonderful symbiotic and constantly expanding energy that we're both partaking of and adding to. During these retreat days, we have the great gift of being taken care of in a very beautiful and simple way. All of our basic needs being met. And while you're here, life is pared down, pared down considerably, and pared down maybe even more than considerably for some of you. Simplified from your usual daily life activities. Your daily life demands and daily life seeming needs. There's really not very much to do. over it is next day. Sitting, walking, eating, listening. And most importantly, cultivating metta. The heart of acceptance, and kindness. And within this process, giving a mindful attention to your your very own particular experiences of heart and mind and body. So we could say again that there's really not very much to do over these next days, which is a very good thing to remember. Because some of you may have quite a strong habit of keeping busy, keeping very busy. Such a strong habit of keeping busy that you might just go on creating all kinds of things to do when there's really nothing much to do. Just continuing to do it simply out of habit. So you may have to remind yourself now and then, there's really not much to do. And so in this light, one of the things that we're practicing while we're here is what could be called renunciation. And in this case, meaning letting go of busyness and letting go of the usual distractions that we use, that we engage in to try to relax out of all of the busyness. And again, it's a great gift this renunciation, lots of gifts through this retreat. It's really not so usual in our culture to take time to engage our energy this way, as you all know, to really simplify our life and to just spend time looking inward, to come to a place like this to be, to really just simply be not to become anything, not to become anybody, and not to fill up the mind with more stuff, but really to just simply be. And so we begin together in a kind of sanctuary, being together in the way that we are in this place of safety and protection and great respect, and deep acceptance it's really a gift again that each of you have given to yourselves to spend this week here and that you also give to each other simply by being here with each other I think for just about everybody uh, there are many different feelings that come up at, at the onset of a retreat Maybe some excitement. Maybe some nervousness, a little anxiousness. Maybe even some worry. Maybe a feeling of delight. Maybe a feeling of relief. Lots of energy moving through the body and the mind and the heart. Even for those who have sat many, many retreats. For me, the teaching or beginning a personal retreat myself, there are many different flavors of energy that move through my body and my mind and my heart. It's just human nature. It's natural. Entering into something new. A little added energy, we could say, that has many different tones to it. really how fortunate it is that we're embodied as we are in this human form this precious human existence making it possible to practice making it possible to be able to look within making it possible to develop to cultivate a, a pure kind and balanced heart and mind the truth is that we're actually a min- quite a minority on this planet on this earth and in this universe and of course who knows beyond so if you think about it think about it for a moment for instance insects are much much more prevalent than humans on this planet I have a friend here who um, owns and runs a plant nursery and she told me once that there are 200 million insects or bugs as she put it per human on the planet. So we could say how fortunate it is that we're embodied as we are. This human heart and mind and body are really the most conducive towards developing a great and even a boundless capacity of loving kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. Because of the particular mixture that each one of us has of both pleasure and pain, really there's just enough of each certainly sometimes there's a little more of one a little more of the other and at times of course we've all held handfuls of one and seemingly very little or maybe seemingly none of the other but the truth is it changes it changes back and forth and back and forth within a week within a day certainly within moments as well. So really this human realm offers us the best conditions that we could ask for. There are beings that primarily live in what could be called the lower realms where the intensity of suffering is just so great that it's impossible or nigh unto impossible to develop the wholesome qualities of mind and heart that are needed for practice. And I am sure that every one of us in this room have been in those lower realms at times and know that place of tremendous fire and contraction, that place where it just feels impossible to be present with our experience, where it seems impossible to connect with goodness and acceptance and kind-heartedness and joy and compassion let alone any degree of equanimity and there are the higher realms what we could call the higher places of existence times when everything is just so blissful that there's usually very little inspiration to practice. And I'm sure that we've all tasted this as well. Where it all seems just perfect, utterly blissful, for maybe a moment or two, (laughs) or maybe sometimes longer, a bit longer, And there's really not even a drop of inspiration to engage in our practice, if we have one. And in fact, if we do have a practice, in those moments it might just fly right out the window. Why? Because we forget that life isn't always so blissful. That we don't always get what we want that life doesn't always go our way. In the blissful moments, it's quite easy to forget that we really still do have our spiritual work to do. So this realm that we live in most of the time, this is the place. This is the place where we can really develop the boundless capacity of the heart, the perfectly natural capacity to connect within ourselves and in relationship to others with an unconditional acceptance, kindness, and care. There's a a very graphic uh, teaching that says, if all of the world were water and a, a wooden ring one foot in diameter was thrown out upon the water and blown about by the winds, that a blind turtle, surfacing once every hundred years, would put its neck through this wooden ring more easily than one can obtain a precious human existence. We're quite a rare species within the enormous breadth of life forms on this planet. our human birth is conditioned by certain basic attitudes. And I think it's fair to say that we're all more or less conditioned by these attitudes. So looking at it from the perspective of loving-kindness, metta, the two basic realms of our conditioning that really reflect the beautiful and wholesome qualities or capacities of our true humanness are the attitudes of generosity and non-harming. When we practice metta, we're uncovering, we could say. We're uncovering, we're cultivating and deepening these very human capacities of the heart. The heart of unconditional loving-kindness. And I'd like to read just a a short uh, piece from Albert Schweitzer that talks about this in in a particular way. These are his words, mostly, (laughs) not 100%. If there's anything that I have learned about men and women, it is that there is a deeper spirit of altruism than is ever evident. Just as the rivers we see are minor compared to the underground streams, so too is the kindness and compassion that is visible, that is visible, is minor compared to what people carry in their hearts, unreleased or scarcely released. Humankind is waiting and longing for those who can accomplish the task of untying what is knotted and bringing these underground waters to the surface. Buddha offers us an instruction that we can take as a guidepost for our metta practice this week and he said this it is in this way that we can train ourselves by liberation of the self through love we will develop love we will practice it we will make it both a way and a basis take our stand upon it store it up and thoroughly set it going. The teachings and the practices that we've inherited from the Buddha are about transforming the heart, transforming the mind. And we prompt this transformation through formal practice, as of course we'll be doing through the week. And of course the point is for It to grow and to integrate itself into our everyday life. To grow and integrate itself into the whole of our life. So for just a few moments now, I'd like to explore an important and actually a crucial aspect of the process of metta practice, which is that we attend to our practice with a mindful awareness. There's really no metta without mindfulness. There's no metta practice without bringing a focused, mindful attention to the practice. So a very ordinary example that probably each one of you have experienced at times, and an experience that relates well in terms of metta, We meet a new person, someone we've never ever seen before, never met before. And we don't actually see them as they are. We might be seeing them, for instance, in relationship to whatever it is we're thinking about them. And we may very quickly attach to and believe the myriad thoughts, the projections, the judgments, that are passing through our mind about this person, even though we've never ever met them before. So maybe we're relating to this person in those first moments through how much maybe we're attracted to him or to her, or how much we think we like them, or how we find this person quite attractive or unattractive, likable or unlikable. Or maybe this person reminds us of someone else. And so we're, we see this person uh, in relationship to these similar qualities of somebody else. Or we might meet this brand new person in relationship to how we hope they'll be or how we want them to be or maybe how we hope that they won't be or don't want them to be or maybe we hope what, what we hope we'll get from them. And we could go on and on, you know. With all of this, actually, we're not experiencing this person that we've just met in themselves. We're not connecting. We're not seeing them clearly. Our heart, our mind isn't open. We're relating to this person through the veil of our conditioning. Have any of you ever experienced getting to know someone and finding out that they're not at all, not even a little bit, like your preconditioned perceptions and judgments of them were. I know I've had that experience. Without mindfulness, we're not aware of this in the moments of it happening, because we're blindly caught in our conditioned habits. Without mindfulness, we could say that everything we perceive is like this. Everything we see, everything we taste, hear, smell, touch, everything we think. It's all immediately interpreted back to us in conformity with our habitual thought patterns, our habits, habitual ways of experiencing, if we're not aware of it. And what's going on then is that we're living at a distance from experience. We're actually living at a distance from life itself. And it can be kind of a vicious circle that feeds itself, that feeds this conditioning. We become more and more an automatic, we could say, more robotic, more like, sort of like our computers. You know, you push the key and out pops what's what's already in there, the conditioned responses. So mindfulness is really uh, an important uh, piece in this process of cultivating the heart. Cultivating our capacity to really truly connect and accept. Cultivating unconditional kindness. Mindfulness in conjunction with metta practice is really about bringing everything into a very clear, sharp focus, to see things as they really, really are. And that's very helpful. Mindful presence in relationship to metta practice is a powerful way of changing the mind, changing the heart, changing the way that we relate to ourselves, people, things, situations. Connecting with an open heart and clear awareness allows for the release and the transformation of our painful, unskillful habits. Metta practice is a powerful process of deep purification of the heart and the mind with the potential of transforming every situation in our life. So, we have a really wonderful week ahead of us. A time of cultivation and discovery, a week of exploration and purification, some of which may not be so easy at times, maybe even quite challenging sometimes. But nonetheless, this week will be a time that will most likely be quite amazing illuminating and beautiful as we enter into retreat this period of spiritual practice there are a few very particular supports that are readily available for us here and I'd like to just briefly explore the first of these and then Winnie will continue on with the rest Our first support is silence. It's really another gift, silence. This silence that very gently holds us in itself. Silence is quite amazing in certain ways. It doesn't expect anything, it doesn't judge. Silence is infinitely patient, boundlessly spacious and open. Silence is totally allowing and accepting this container, we could say, of silence that everything comes out of and returns to. And of course, uh, within the silence there's sound, all kinds of sound that arises and passes. You'll hear the sounds of Winnie's voice and my voice, other voices probably as well. You might hear sighs and maybe cries and very possibly laughs and the sounds of the old squeaky floors here. They have quite a voice. Possibly the roar of engines outside. Certainly the sounds of birds, lots of them. Maybe dogs. There'll be wind sounds and other weather sounds. All kinds of sounds arising and passing. And sometimes we interpret sound as noise. And it's important to note this. Note that this is an interpretation. And to notice it, watch it. Is this or that sound noise? What happens internally if it's noise? Are you relaxed? Is your heart open to really just simply hear, receive the sound? Or is there a contraction, a feeling of resistance, or a feeling of being disturbed, a sense of separation? If it's just a sound being heard, our relationship to it is one of acceptance, a kind of radical acceptance. Just simply and directing, directly connecting with. Hearing and knowing. And of course we're not always in this relationship to sound. So as we go through these days together, this week together, with an open heart, just... Mindfully notice. Notice your relationship and your response or your reaction to sound. And noticing without judgment in the midst of the silence. Sometimes within silence it feels as though all of the windows of the world, all of the windows of the universe, of of life itself, have been thrown wide open and when this is our experience we may have a sense of freshness as though an open-hearted receptivity and fresh clarity have been let in at the onset of a retreat sometimes people feel a little bit of anxiety about being silent some of you may have thought about this yourselves that aren't used to being in retreat. Being silent not only for a few moments, but for whole days, for a whole week. And in the company of other people. might seem like it's going to be quite awkward or maybe strange or too difficult. Or I think it might feel like it's going to be impossible. Some of you might have a sense yeah. of feeling. I, I think I can honestly say and as a number of you here know that most people here. Our, our persons arrived <laughs> that most people feel by the end of the retreat or somewhere along in the midst of the retreat um, that silence is really one of the most precious aspects of retreat life Everything just simply comes and goes in the spacious, patient acceptance of silence. And the key here is, and again, I said this before, but the key here is that you don't have to be anybody. You really don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to present yourself. You don't have to be somebody or become somebody. A somebody, we could say. You just simply be. And it is a great relief, actually, to just simply be. Silence is where we learn to listen, where we learn to see. This container of silence is where there's the possibility of the boundless capacity of our heart to be known, to be experienced. And I'd like to read a, a poem that relates to this by the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda. He calls it Keeping Quiet. Now we will count to twelve and we will all keep still, for once, on the face of the earth. Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It will be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare dark wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, Victories with no survivors would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers and sisters in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead in winter and later proves to be alive now i'll count to 12 and you keep quiet and i will go so this is our first support silence and I like to talk about it quite a bit because I feel like there's just a whole lot more to it than just not talking. I'm closing my part of this evening's uh, Dhamma Talk with some words from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. And so now Winnie will talk with you about some of the other supports that are available for our practice this week.
1: So that's the the first mindfulness exercise, <laughs> the putting on the microphone. Well, welcome to you all. It's been a long road for many of you getting here. For some of you, it's kind of around the corner. But in any case, welcome. We all have the karma in some way to be together to do this over the next days so it's a wonderful thing this forming of community in order to practice together and for those who have done many retreats you're going to be very familiar with this next part of it where we do what's called taking the refuges and precepts but for those of you who are here for the first time or may have Uh, not done uh, been in a practice environment where this was done I'm going to say a few words about what it's all about so traditionally uh, at the beginning of these kinds of intensive practice retreats these silent retreats there's a a group um, activity that we undertake that's part of forming community and setting community norms, clarifying some basic ground rules uh, about behavior while we're here, undertaking trainings uh, in order to create a sense of safety, and also clarifying right at the beginning of the retreat what our orientation to this whole undertaking is. So when I say we're going to take the refuges and the precepts, basically what that means is we're going to chant these in Pali together. And Pali is a cousin language to the language the Buddha actually spoke. And it's in a sense a kind of ecclesiastical language because many of the early teachings of the Buddha were written down in Pali and uh, the suttas are uh, very often in Pali and so many of the practices and the teachings uh, over time, in the 2,600 years since the, the Buddha was alive, have been taught, preserved in Pali. So it's a little bit like uh, the relationship between Latin and the Catholic Church. Uh, but Pali is, Pali is the language for us so when I say we're going to take them we're gonna chant them together with an appreciation of their meaning so let me talk about the the precepts first so just to be clear each of you when we do this can find your own way to hold this so this isn't any kind of attempt to uh, enforce some sort of religious view or conformity on you in any kind of way because I realize that there's a diversity uh, here in that respect. Some of you consider yourselves to be Buddhists. Some of you may have another faith tradition. Some of you may be agnostics or atheists or just not be sure um, or kind of have your own unique hybrid blend of things but in taking uh, the precepts together we're making clear uh, taking the refuges together we're making clear that our orientation to practice while we're here is to the Buddhist path so the teachings that are going to be offering although they have universal application are actually drawn uh, from his understanding and from his way of offering them first to his own immediate disciples and then the way that has been uh, carried from mind to mind since its time. So we're coming together as a group and setting this direction and accepting as a working premise at least that this way of going about it, this way of cultivating the mind and heart seems like it could be a viable thing to do. This could be something that's workable. This could be something that has some truth to it. And it's uh, important to have that initial assent on some level because if if the mind can't get on board with the basic initial premises, then it's very difficult to marshal the kind of energy and commitment that it really takes in order to do the the practices in a sustained way. So as we harmonize as uh, together as a community, we're clarifying what we're committing to in our time here and becoming conscious of the fact that we're entering into this secluded period of uh, intensive practice of the Buddha Dharma. So to say a little more about taking the refuges, an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it, taking the refuges? Because in order for something to be a refuge, it has to be something that has the possibility of offering some sort of shelter. It has to have some sort of security in it and accessibility for us in order to be able to enter this refuge. And the three things that we're taking refuge in are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So the first of these, the Buddha, is understood by some people and held by some people who consider themselves Buddhists to be the actual historic Buddha. So taking refuge in the Buddha is not taking refuge in a god being because that's not what the Buddha is. The Buddha is a human. He was very clear about that, that he wasn't a god. But he was an individual who, through his own self-effort and through his altruistic intention, found the path to liberating his own mind and then, out of care and compassion for humans and other beings, spent the rest of his life offering it. There's another way that you can understand the taking of refuge in the Buddha. And that is taking refuge in your own capacity for awakening. To at least provisionally uh, accept the idea that, yeah, maybe there's something here where my mind too, being a human mind just like the Buddha's was, could have the capacity to develop itself, to open an understanding. Yeah, the Buddha and I are not totally different beings. We're of the same genus and species. Yeah, I'm a human being. The Buddha could do something. Many human beings, many human beings like me have been able to do this. Yeah, I could take refuge in the Buddha, potential in myself our own current and immediate potential. Taking refuge in the Dharma could be understood as taking refuge in the teachings of the Buddha, taking refuge in the liberation teachings of the Buddha. It could also be understood as taking refuge in the truth taking refuge in what we can directly know for ourselves through connection to immediate reality. This is a really interesting way to consider it. Not needing to rely in any kind of absolute way on the representation of anyone, including the Buddha, but being willing to touch reality, Through this heart and mind that we have, and learn in an immediate and direct sense through our own touching of truth. This could be taking refuge in the Dharma. And then finally, taking refuge in the Sangha. And historically, this has been the community of uh, monastics who through time have really, until relatively recently, have really been the people that have carried the Buddha Dharma from the time of the Buddha, from mind to mind, from heart to heart, all the way into the the present. Another way of understanding the Sangha is the community of those practicing on the path, those of us who are trying to put into uh, play through our own self-effort these principles and these teachings and seek and resonate with people who are also doing the same thing so if taking the refuge is the, the entry into the the practice of the buddhist teachings the buddhist dharma then we actually start to put these teachings into practice by taking what are called the precepts and the precepts are basically trainings cultivations of the heart and mind that put into uh Play the Buddha's understanding of causation, of what kind of acts lead to harm towards ourselves and others. And once that understanding of what kinds of things are not helpful, are harmful, are damaging, we undertake trainings to refrain from doing those activities for several different reasons. The first of these is by refraining from harmful activities, we create a sense of safety and ease within our community. So we know that everyone who's here has a basic commitment to non-harming. So we can feel at ease and feel a sense of safety, that there's a, a bottom line that we can take for granted. And this practice of moral restraint or this practice of sila, this taking and observing of the precepts, of course, is very important for our practice to actually work because as you can probably easily understand, if we're doing harmful things while we're attempting to cultivate (coughs) metta there's a major crossing of wires there and things uh, cancel themselves out a mind that is uh, doing harmful things is stirred up, is in turmoil is in a state of agitation it doesn't have any capacity to Settle down and actually be able to hear the teachings and begin to practice them. (coughs) So we can see our concentration can be supported and it's deepening through keeping the precepts. And you know, one last thing about this is these are not commandments, this is not how it's understood. It's not that someone outside is going to punish you. Uh, that's, that's not the way of thinking. Although I suppose if you did do bad enough things, someone would punish you. But um, this is a practice undertaken out of love and out of wisdom. So we're going to offer five precepts here on this retreat and um, we'll be undertaking the training rule to abstain from taking life which should not be a major temptation I wouldn't imagine you know it would probably in this environment involve gently removing an insect from inside the building um, the second is we undertake the training to abstain from taking what is not given so this is usually understood to be about thievery and that kind of thing, but we could also understand this as accepting the relative simplicity of the conditions here and uh, being okay enough with that to not seek more if it if it's unnecessary. Uh, The third is we undertake the training rule to abstain from sexual activity. And this is not because we think sex is bad or wrong or dirty or any of that. It's that in this kind of environment, there's a simplification in just setting all of that aside for a while and letting that kind of instinctual energy be unacted on while we're in the process of directing our energies of body uh, heart and mind in a different way. The fourth is we undertake the training rule to abstain from wrong speech. So uh, traditionally that means speech that's false, uh, harmful, uh, designed to stir up trouble and kind of silly um, time wasting in in this environment really it relates uh, to a couple of different things primarily the first is uh, maintaining silence which in this environment is a friendly silence so it's it's not what um, uh, that communication is being cut off it's that the silence in this environment supports the mind being able to turn awareness inward in order to establish connection with what's happening from moment to moment so that you can actually practice so the temptation uh, (laughs) the temptation, the biggest temptation you'll probably have while you're here regarding this one has to do with smartphones for computers, okay. So we're all going cold turkey, <laughs> right? <laughs> and when you first go on re- on retreat like this, you can find out that you're a little bit of a junkie, you know, because it can actually be a withdrawal thing that happens. <laughs> so here's a tip, and I, I I will follow my own tip as a, a person teaching here too. It's going to go off completely turned off it's going to go in the deepest recesses of my suitcase you could put it in your dirty clothes bag but don't forget when you go home don't just <laughs> throw them all in the washer if you got a car stick it in there in the glove compartment or something, lock it up the thought, I should just check my email, mm-hmm. no, 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 <laughs> I should just text just a couple, t- just a little text just a, j- no, no. Okay, so, silence. And the same thing also. And, and this is, will be an interesting experience for those of you who haven't done this before. Because you'll, you'll see, you'll see the addictive uh, little lure to it, right? Uh, and once you get through the bubble, once you get through the hump, you'll actually start to see, oh, there's some other things there's a whole other world that <laughs> doesn't have to do with the little screen you notice how small those screens actually are <laughs> the little life inside the little tiny screen you can let go of it for a while um, and the, 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 the last of these is to or the fifth to undertake the training role to abstain from intoxicants which cause heedlessness that's like a double backflip refrain from which cause heedlessness. So basically what it means is uh, drugs and alcohol, those kinds of things that are designed to get you high, no do while here. So there's an important clarification though to be made, which is if you have medications for your body or mind that are for your health, Please don't stop taking them. <laughs> and I mention that because sometimes you know people go on retreat and they think, "Oh, I'm going to cold turkey it." You know, this will be the best time to do it. No, it's not. It's not a good idea. So those are the five precepts. So now our process is to uh, chant them together in Polly. So does everybody have a copy of this item called the... anybody got what they need. So you see on the left hand side is the Pali, on the right is the English. You want to take just a minute to read it through so you understand in English what it is. The first part of it at the top is basically uh, gratitude to the Buddha. That's chanted uh, three times, and then the three refuges are, are chanted three times. And there'll be a pause, then we'll take the five precepts and close with the dedication. How many of you have done this before? Okay, eh, it's about 50-50. Um, So, (laughs) don't worry about how you sound, (coughs) so what we want to do now, we want to start working with the mind right away, so, like, any worries in the mind about uh, how I sound, if I'm going to mess it up, let it wash through, just feel feel the intention to enter into this process to start our retreat as a community. So uh, I'll chant, uh, just do what you can to follow along. Namo Tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo Tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Buddham Sarnam Gacchami Dhamman Sarnam Gacchami Sangam Sarnam Gacchami Dutiyam pe Buddham saranam gacchami Dutiyam pe saranam gacchami Dutiyam sangam saranam gacchami Tatiyam Buddham saranam gacchami Tatiampi Daman Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Panatipata Pata We Ramani Sika Badam we Ramani, Sika Badam, Samadiami, We Ramani, Sika Badam, Musawada, We Ramani, Sika Badam, Sura. Marya majapa mana we ramani sikabadam Samadiami idam me silam magapalanya sa Our retreat has now officially begun and we're all in silence. So let's just sit for a moment and collect our minds and let that register. May our practice be of benefit to ourselves and others and may this retreat be fruitful and open within us our own vast potential for our benefit and for that of all beings. Thank you all. Have a good night's sleep. Sunrise services are start early in the morning. If you've had a hard road, uh, take the extra rest. Um, the schedule is posted about when breakfast is is served. Um, you want to make sure that uh, you come to the instructional set um, for sure, because that's where the download of what it is we're practicing actually takes place. So want to make sure you come to that one tomorrow and every morning. But if you, if you need to sleep in a little bit uh, tomorrow um, morning, don't feel like you have to make the first one. So good rest to you all. And remember about those phones. Put them to bed first. <laughs> good night.